0: But also makes me think of the handful of times that I've gone back to church in the last, let's say, 10 years for various reasons. <laughs> Non-genuine <laughs> reasons, I'll just put it that way. <laughs> for various reasons that going back to a church, I am always struck by, wow, there's so many people that are just like, hey, hi, how are you? Let me shake mm. your hand. Where are you from? What's your name? Like, why don't mm. you sit over here? A- a- and it is a weird thing because, I, again, I grew up in it and it's not like any leadership was giving these coordinated efforts of like, okay, this is what you're going to yeah. do. This is how you're going to reel them in. It was baked into the philosophy mm. of that flavor of Christianity. It was like, we want to be friendly. We want to be welcoming. We want to make sure people feel good and feel like this is a family, right? So yeah, it is. I think that is a good mm. question of like, where's the line between this is what the behavior is and how much of it is, ooh, they were planning it all along versus... This is them trying to be like, thinking that they're trying to be nice and welcoming, right?
1: Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily.
0: And I'm Dedeker.
1: We believe in looking to the future of
2: relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past.
0: So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you.
1: Four. On this episode of the Multi Multiamory podcast, we're talking about love bombing. Love bombing has become a hot topic in psychology and on social media and pop psychology. So what exactly is love bombing? What does the research say about it? And is this concept actually helpful? What does it ultimately mean for the future of the relationship if love bombing happens? Today, we're gonna talk about what love bombing is, what it may feel like for the recipient, and some actionable steps to take If you feel like maybe you are being love-bombed. So, this is a really interesting concept that I
2: only really heard about over the last few months for the first time. I listened to an episode of The Skinny Confidential, and they had a love-bombing expert on somebody who dealt with narcissists and who was a therapist and... Really knew a lot about it and definitely made this whole thing sound really, really sinister and really, really bad. And it got me thinking, huh, like, is that the case in every circumstance when one gets love bombed? Because I definitely feel like that has happened to me before. I feel as though I've probably done it in certain situations as well, but I don't necessarily feel like the people who have done it to me or myself included have been really sinister, narcissistic people. So I just kind of was interested to look at this a little bit further because now that I heard about it, it's come up like so much around me in social media and also people who I meet saying like, yeah, I've been love bombed and my ex is a narcissist and things along those lines. So I'm I'm curious for the two of you, like how long has it been since you started hearing about this term and and what sort of is your relationship to this term
0: yeah well i wanted to start out with like i guess casual definitions we're going to get into formal definitions later but i think it is important to I mean, so if I'm thinking about, like, if I was put on the spot, like I'm being put right now (laughs) to just define love bombing, let's say. (laughs) uh, Yeah, I think I started hearing about it on the Internet probably maybe two or three years ago. It is, I think, a recent thing. I don't think it's a recent phenomenon, but, like, I think recently has been picking up steam. And I guess just based on the information that I would, you know, gather by osmosis, I would define Mm -hmm. love bombing as when someone very early on in a relationship suddenly just like showers you with a ton of affection and verbal praise, maybe even big gifts or big declarations about the relationship in this really intense, overwhelming way that maybe they don't actually sustain, or perhaps maybe is part of like a cycle of abuse, you know, where, where, like, when you're finally ready to leave our relationship, then suddenly all the love bombing happens. I think that's how I would maybe define it just off the top of my head. And yeah, I think I've definitely been on the receiving end of that in both of those situations, both in situations like kind of more abusive relationships, where that was kind of regularly baked into the cycle, as well as early on in a relationship where someone just got super, super intense, really, really fast, like inappropriately fast. And it's definitely, I know, I really characterize it as, like, leaving a very, like, head-spinny mm-hmm. feeling.
1: Yeah, mm. Yeah. It, this is also a term that I've heard roundabout. about. It does seem like it's getting mentioned a lot more recently. Like you were saying, Emily, you've started hearing it more and more. It's interesting, though, because the context where I first heard about it, and so the way that it has stayed in my brain is more about that cycle of abuse type yeah. thing like Dedeker was talking about. That it's more that that part of the definition of love bomb is that it comes in this cycle of after being really nasty and you know putting someone down or trying to control someone. And then as soon as you get pushback, then it's the the love bomb or just kind of doing alternating cycles of that. That's the context I've heard about it. And so when people talk about love bombing like you were about just uh, mm-hmm. you know, at the beginning of a relationship, just like getting so intense so quickly. For me, at least, that's that's not part of how I would have defined love bombing. Like To me, that's just sort of not knowing how to handle your NRE or just getting a little too excited or just not having enough experience to be like, okay, yeah, but I can also let this take its time or something, right? You know, whatever's going on. But to me, those are two very distinct types of
2: love bombing or just maybe two different things. Yeah, like I wouldn't call them the same
1: thing. Yeah. Yeah. At least that would have been my the way I would have described it coming in. I would have been Hmm. like, no, that's not love bombing.
2: Yeah. I I think a lot of the articles out there are discussing the initial love bomb as opposed to the recurrent love bomb. Although Mm. I really Hmm. I think, yes, that is when it becomes more sinister or a cycle of abuse. Is especially when somebody is hurt very deeply and then, you know, the love bomber comes back and and showers you with affection again, only to maybe hurt you again at a later time. And that definitely feels worse, in my opinion, than the initial love bomb, which I think can happen to so many of us just because we might be really excited about a new relationship or a new connection. So... Let's maybe start getting into those more specific details and origins of this word. Uh, com defined love bombing almost the same way that you did Dedeker, but without the the later stuff. So, love bombing occurs when someone bombs you with an extreme display of attention and affection. And that is just, you know, one display, I guess. So, It doesn't really talk about that later stuff, although I think that it maybe could allude to that
1: as well. If I were this Mm. person's teacher, I would probably take off some points for them using the word bomb in their definition of bomb. Got it. (laughs) That's just kind of not a good practice. So I would would take it up with the very well
2: minded people. Okay. And it was coined in the 1970s by members of the Unification Church of the United States and used by members of the Family International, which. I looked into this a little bit further. They are an organization that was criticized as an authoritarian cult that exploited children in a variety of ways. And it was pretty rough and bad.
0: Did you get any information about how they coined that or what context they used the term in? Was it the same exact context?
2: Yes, it was discussing love bombing Mm -hmm. as, you know, kind of a way to sort of real victims in in a way which was interesting like by their definition
0: were they like oh that's a bad thing or were they like oh this is no it was a bad thing it was a bad thing
1: okay yeah i mean and this came Mm -hmm. up then in a book called cults in our midst which was from 1996 which is like the most 1996 it's like like
0: sprinklings of the (laughs) satanic panic
1: (laughs) yeah exactly yeah yeah, so Margaret Margaret Singer wrote this in 96, and in it, uh, there's a quote here. Quote, This process of feigning friendship and interest in the recruit was originally associated with one of the early youth cults. Whatever
2: that is. <laughs> yeah. Sorry.
1: It's so 90s. <laughs> the, youth the youth cults. Youth, the <laughs> youths and their cults. <laughs> but soon, it was taken up by a number of groups as part of their program for luring people in. Love bombing is a coordinated effort, usually under the direction of leadership that involves long-term members flooding recruits and newer members with flattery, verbal seduction, affectionate but usually non-sexual touch, and lots of attention to their every remark. Love bombing or the offer of instant companionship is a deceptive ploy accounting for many successful recruitment drives.
2: I mean, that just sounds like, I don't know, evangelizing in any way or, or, yeah, sure, maybe luring someone into
1: a cult that does happen definitely but yeah and this is where and we'll i think we'll keep coming back to this point Mm -hmm. over and over again but this is where i get a little concerned with terms like love bombing when we try to use it in this very like they did this so therefore it was bad Hmm. because it raises this question of okay in this case she's she's uh, presenting it like, oh, leadership sort of plans this in this very strategic kind of sinister way, right? Of like, you've got to do this thing. When people do it in relationships, they're not sitting there with like, aha, this is my master plan for how I'm going to do that. I mean, like maybe one person out there in the world is, but usually this is actually just coming from a place of insecurity or from, you know, this is just how they think relationships are supposed to go or not knowing how to handle their NRE or anything like that, right? There's a lot of different factors. But then you look at this in terms of recruiting and it's like, well, sure. But so much of any kind of invitations to join a community or Mm -hmm. something have some of these pieces of like, hey, join this place where you can belong and be more accepted by people. Uh, You know, Join this place that, you know, join this thing that you can be proud of and finally make something of yourself. You know, I'm I'm just trying to think of different slogans and things I've seen on ads. And I don't think those things are inherently bad or wrong to say, yeah, this is what community is about. So it's like, where's the line? I guess that's what worries me when people get too caught up in trying to define love bombing so that they can then say, if it equals this, it equals bad.
0: Yeah, it it makes me think of, (laughs) so I was raised in the Christian church. And uh, uh, yeah, and that's why I said the word because yeah, well, It also makes yeah. me think of the handful of times that I've gone back to church in the last, let's say 10 years for various reasons, <laughs> non-genuine reasons. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> for various reasons that going back to a church, I am always struck by, wow, there's so many people that are just like, Hey, hi, how are you? Let me shake your hand. Where are you from? What's your name? Mm-hmm. Like, why don't you sit over here? And it is a weird thing because, again, I grew up in it and it's not like any leadership was giving these coordinated efforts of like, okay, this is what you're going to do. This is how you're going to reel them in. It was baked into the philosophy of that flavor Mm -hmm. of Christianity was like, we want to be friendly. We want to be welcoming. We want to make sure people feel good and feel like this is a family. Right. So, yeah, it is. I think that is Mm -hmm. a good question of like, where's the line between this is what the behavior is and how much of it is they were planning it all along versus this is them trying to be like, thinking that they're trying to be nice and welcoming, right?
1: And they are actually nice and welcoming. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's the thing, right? It's not even fake. It's not even disingenuous. I think about like when I first joined my company, a lot of people reached out to be like, hey, welcome to the company. Let's set up a call. I want to you know talk to you, get to know you a little. It's like, yeah, that's a normal thing we do when people join a group, like join some kind of social group. And I don't think that's inherently bad in any way. I don't
2: want to say that like a cycle of abuse doesn't occur, because even if somebody isn't sitting there and saying to themselves, oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to do this cycle over and over again of love bombing and then discarding, which we're about to talk about here, that does happen. And people do cyclical things just because that's sort of what they're into or what they how they choose to live their lives, I guess, in a lot of ways. I mean, we all we all like have bad patterns that we go through in our lives and and it may or may not be something that we really are trying to do or we might be trying to break ourselves free of it. I don't want to like minimize the pain that people go through with all of this. And that's not what we're trying to do here. But I think that it's good that we're at least looking a little bit more critically at what love bombing is and trying to say that if you do do it or if somebody has done it to you, it doesn't automatically mean that they're like a shitty, narcissistic person. And that's it. Because I do think that those two things sometimes get conflated with one another. Well, specifically,
0: let's talk about this pattern that I think we've teased mm-hmm. a little bit. So psychologist Dale Archer was the one who identified these different phases of love bombing, and he uses the acronym IDD. So Intense idealization, devaluation, and discard. And then he also throws in kind of a repeat, the idea that the cycle continues. So, you know, intense idealization means the person idealizes you very quickly. They put you on a pedestal, totally sweep you off your feet with big romantic gestures or gifts. Uh, it may feel like, oh, it's too good to be true. Um, or it may feel like, oh, this is happening really, really quickly at the beginning of a relationship. Then comes the devaluation, which is when there's a turn where the other person may alternate between being very kind and then being very cruel. In public, they may be very affectionate, but then in private, maybe they're mean to you, maybe they're abusive to you. And then discard, which is eventually the partner leaves and moves on to the next person, possibly repeating that same process all over again. And then he does throw in a bonus of of hoovering. So really, it should be IDDH. Which is (laughs) that, you know, kind of this idea that even after the discard phase, maybe even after they've left the relationship, the love bomber uh, may still check in kind of breadcrumb possibly, like try to suck the person back in to the cycle. Have you two
2: seen, sorry, the holiday that Kate Winslet and... But yeah, yeah, I that just movie, watched
0: that recently. Yeah, so did
2: I. I for the first time. But there's a character that's like Kate Winslet's ex that basically just like keeps her around mm-hmm. in order to, I guess, feel good about himself like that. Right. He's like a perfect example of this hoovering thing that it's sort of dangling a person a bit. Maybe that they'll come back into your life eventually, but just sort of keeping them there, even though they may or may not ever. Right. Like Return to your life. Yeah, just, it sort of seems like that.
1: I think that also in modern day terminology, we have some other terms like Decker mentioned breadcrumbing is one that's mm. used. I think also submarining would right. apply yeah. here. Oh, <laughs> like Which you come is. out a, a little bit no, and no. once in a while
2: with right. the no, water. Like they they, they it?
0: disappear, like maybe yeah. they ghost okay. you or they break up with you Got and it. just like don't yeah. talk to you and then maybe pop back up again, like suddenly are like, yeah, oh, hey, yeah. actually, wow, I'm in town thinking of you, you know, and maybe mm-hmm. that could also come along yeah. with some love bombing behaviors again, possibly. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And then they disappear again. Go.
1: Right, right. So it's just interesting that we now have kind of these other terms because no one knows what a Hoover is anymore. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Um, okay. So So with all of this, let's talk more about some of the research. Now this was really interesting. So Emily was the one who did the research for this episode, and you were telling us, Em, that basically it seems like there's only one study out there that all the articles I could
2: find, and I tried every way of you know googling love bombing studies, uh, and going through multiple pages, and this basically is it. And yet so many articles out there are like this new study about love bombing. Says one study. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so please tell us about this study, Jace, because it's
1: an interesting one. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So Emily and I spent some time together kind of looking through this, trying to be trying to understand what's really going on here. So this is a study that was done at the University of Arkansas in published in twenty seventeen called Love Bombing: A Narcissistic Approach to Relationship Formation. Um and this was authored by Strutzenberg Viersma mostly. Jakowski and Becknell so here's how the study went down they gathered participants who were just fellow college students the college students in exchange for participating in the study were either given some credit or a $50 gift card various they things were, like that and they were in the running for a
2: $50 no, gift card yeah uh, they yeah. threw okay. like their names into a hat for a $50 gift card
1: got it, yes got it, got but it.
2: also they did get extra credit or something so that's cool Right.
1: So 484 college students who were all, uh, you know, students at the same university at the University of Arkansas, Uh, the participants ended up being predominantly white women. uh, And they conducted a study that was just them filling out a survey, and they used a few different measures. So they were looking at one thing was attachment. So they used the adult attachment scale, which are those, you know, one strongly disagree to five strongly agree an 18 question thing to determine how securely attached, how anxiously attached, and how avoidantly attached were the people. Then they used the Rosenberg self-esteem scale to see their self-esteem. They used a narcissism measurement scale, which is the hypersensitive narcissism scale. And then they used a love bombing measurement, which is one they came up with themselves for this study. So they put together eight items to identify if this person does love bombing. And then they also came up with some questions to determine how much this person uses texting in their relationships. So oh here's, here's what we found from all of this, or here's what they found. And that's first is that they found that love bombing behaviors are prevalent, that just a lot of the people were doing, were doing it scored fairly highly on those items they came up with and that. They said, by identifying items to describe love bombing, it was found that individuals who display love bombing behaviors are likely to act from an insecure attachment. So they found a, a correlation between higher scores in insecure attachment and higher scores in doing love bombing. Um, and so they're saying that perhaps this is something that they're doing to try to, uh, you know, get this person to help support their own self-worth and their own feelings of value within society. So so with that said, we want to talk a little bit about this study because there's some issues with it besides the fact that no one's replicated it that we could find. Um, but there's some issues with it. Um, I know, Emily, you had some things you wanted to point out here.
2: Well, it, like I said before, it seems to be basically the only study out there on love bombing. And they even acknowledged within the study that more you know, studies need to be done on this to really measure it further, and especially the correlation between attachment styles and whether or not a person is, is a narcissist or whether or not a person is more or less likely to love bomb another. And the study itself was done by students. So the, this wasn't professors doing it. It was students and uh, graduate students. And while there's nothing wrong with that, it just, that, I found that to be a little bit interesting. It was essentially students gauging, you know, these things with other students roughly around their same ages. So, right. yeah, I don't know. I, it, I wondered if perhaps people who had been in a psychology field for a longer period of time, I would be interested to see what they
1: found and what, you know, things they use to measure. In their conclusions, they do make a lot of mentions and observations about Millennials and they do offer up in their conclusions a lot of what they think the reasons are for some of these things based on both being Millennials themselves as well as studying Millennials. So yeah, that would be interesting to see how that might change if the people conducting the study and if you had a larger age range for people in the study, how that might change things.
2: Definitely. and I know that you were interested in talking about the love bombing items that they used specifically. So I can read these off. the These were the questions on the Likert scale that they posed to the participants. and these questions they all created themselves. So There's also only we eight found them. them to be a little interesting. Only yeah, eight. eight is it's just not that many. It's not very much to ask a person. And these were the questions. So, The first one, when past relationships have ended, I have realized that I was more invested in the relationship than my partner was. Sure. Number two, I desire praise slash appreciation slash affirmation to be communicated by my partner. Yeah. Number three, I feel as though the presence of my partner increases my social standing. Number four, I feel more confident and secure when I am in a relationship. Number five, I am insecure with the idea of being single. Six, I am only content in a relationship until I find another better option of a partner. Seven, I view relationships as a means to feel better about myself. And eight, when I feel insecure, I like to turn to another person to assure me of my worth.
0: What do you think? Yeah, about this? so it's it, like, it's really interesting to me that none of those questions and i know that whenever people are self-reporting that that can skew things in a particular way i realize that that's tricky when you're not being just like a direct observer of behavior but that none of those questions are are really actually about behavior it's like none of none of it is like Mm -hmm. early on in a relationship i tend to tell someone that i love them or like yeah i'm willing to do a big romantic gesture one month into a new relationship or whatever. It's like none of them are actually about the behaviors that we... It's like feeling. Yeah, it is like the feelings. And and some of these are tricky because they're very relatable. You know, like wanting praise or appreciation or affirmation to be communicated by my partner. I don't know anyone who doesn't want that. The only one that feels like, okay, yeah, this sounds like maybe it's kind of dodgy is the one about I'm only content in a relationship until I find another better option of a partner. Uh, But then also at the same time, I'm like, well, that's basically what monogamous culture trains us to do. So there's a certain amount where it's like, well, that's normal. Um, So that is really interesting. It feels like what they're calling these love bombing items, to me, feel much more biased towards, yeah, like I look to relationships for my own sense of like self-worth and security.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. And this is, I think, a really fun example, fun example of the way that bias can end up in research. Right. Hmm. So, what I my guess as to what happened here is that they wanted to do a study about love bombing, and then they have that thing of well, it's hard to get people to admit to this behavior or self-identify their behavior. So instead, we're going to take this concept we have of what love bombing is, and then what we think people who do love bombing feel like, and that's the questions we're going to ask. And you kind get like into this your weird hypothesis sort of-
0: into the. Exactly. Sure. Exactly. Uh-huh.
1: exactly. The hypothesis is kind of baked into the questions and the way they structured mm. them.
2: Well, and that to me may have happened because these people are pretty young. They don't have a huge amount of life experience behind them. Maybe they do, but... Again, it's it's their own personal bias coming into it, and I think potentially if it had been a professor
0: or maybe I mean people who are older or have more life experience, bring their own bias into everyone everyone brings their own human bias into it. It's it's not like there's a way to hermetically seal off any research from bias. I understand that. Yeah, right.
2: Yeah, yeah. But speaking of bias, I will say uh, they were also looking at millennials in this study. And because I think the, the correlation or the idea that millennials are narcissists has been a big thing and a big factor in a lot of, uh, ideas recently. It, when I was looking all this up, it was like, are millennials more narcissistic than any other generation? And a lot of people believe that. And they actually looked into a study on are millennials more narcissistic and they found that no millennials are not more narcissistic than anyone else, but that they believe the discourse out there on the fact that millennials are more narcissistic and they're like, yeah, oh, we are and that's okay. But also it makes it apparently makes millennials feel worse about themselves, that wow. they are just a more narcissistic generation. So I do wonder if that kind
1: of fell into this a little bit as well. Yeah. I do want to point out that, so one of the things they measured on this test was a scale of narcissism, right? Which Mm -hmm. was not one that they created, but one that they decided to use. And as we've talked about in the past on this show, narcissism is a highly contentious thing to even diagnose or measure. We'll talk about that a
2: little bit more after the break. There's not a lot of
1: agreement on that. So, but anyway, they took that. And then as we mentioned, their questions about identifying if these people are love bombers were more based on their feelings. And if you'll notice, a lot of those questions were tied to anxiety of some kind, right? It was that like, I feel anxious about being alone. I feel like my social standing increases when I'm with my partner. I want to be praised and affirmed by my partner. A lot of stuff that's related to you know insecurities and anxieties. And then the questions on that narcissism scale are also very much related to insecurities and anxieties. And it's so well, okay, yeah, if you're writing very similar types of questions for those two things, of course you're going to get higher correlation between those two things, right? So uh, again, it's just, I just think this is a clunky study. (laughs) It's worth mentioning it enough. I'm less concerned about the age of anyone involved, but just the fact that I can see some pretty clear bias that's been Mm -hmm. put in here right from the start, as well as just the fact that this is the only one and that everyone's using it to... Especially in pop psychology, you get into this issue where people will look at a study, they'll come to some sort of conclusion, or even the people writing the study will write something in their conclusion that's more of a, well, we think that it's probably this, and then people run with that, and then another layer of conclusions on top of it, and then another layer of conclusions, and then you get to this whole thing of, like, it is real, and it's a thing that narcissists do, and if someone loves bombs you, they're a narcissist, and Mm -hmm. you need to get out of, you know, it's like, it's a slippery slope it's like a telephone game, but worse. Next, we're going to get into talking about narcissism and love bombing, more about how those can be connected to each other, and then what that actually means in practice, as well as some things that you can do about it. But first, we're going to take a quick break to talk about some ways you can support this show if you enjoy getting this information and you want to help us be able to continue putting this out there into the world for free. Just take a moment, check out some of our sponsors. If any of them seem interesting to you, it does directly help support our show if you do, or if you check out our Patreon.
2: This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here
1: and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? in that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So as we've already been discussing a little bit, I think that as you look into this or do any research on this, that you'll find that the term love bombing often tends to get matched up with speaking about narcissists in a relationship like you know like sometimes love bombing is talked about as a behavior in and of itself but I feel like many many people a lot of Instagram therapists I know a lot of my own friends a lot of people online do lump in like love bombing and you know narcissistic behavior together and of course you know this the discourse being that the narcissist tends to have a pattern of love bombing and then discarding and moving on to their next victim and This is always so tricky because I never want to come across as like a love-bombing apologist or like a narcissist apologist or things like that. But Mm -hmm. it's it's really a gray area, you know? I think we're living in a time right now where social media encourages us to be very black and white. And so, I mean, good God, like how many support groups have I seen on Facebook for like victims of narcissists or whatever, or so many people go through a breakup and immediately they're like, they were a narcissist. and And again, it's not like... It's not like we're saying that, oh, these people are just making it up or actually their ex was a totally wonderful person and they shouldn't be criticizing them in this way. But it is this weird thing of like when we attach labels to these behaviors, we're not always seeing the full spectrum, right? And we did touch on this back in our narcissist episode all the way back in 2017. You can go check that out. That's episode 148.
2: Yeah, the... One of the takeaways that I found from researching this episode was that narcissism is actually fairly difficult to define, even for those who are experts in it and who are researching it constantly. Because in the DSM five, the newest version of it, it is labeled as one of the 10 personality disorders. However, Five of those personality disorders almost got the axe for the most recent version. There was a big debate about whether or not to include narcissism, narcissistic personality disorder in the newest version of the DSM. And ultimately, it was apparently a three-year debate. It was very contentious, but ultimately, it still is included in there. But I think a lot of the issue was simply because it's just hard it, there's so many like factors out there and it's difficult to say, yes, this makes a person a narcissist definitively or not. And people still really struggle with that with figuring that out and trying to sort of put someone into that box in that category. So additionally, statistically, there's a big wide range of how many narcissistic people are actually out there or how many people uh, have NPD. And what I found was that it's anywhere from 0.05% of the population all the way up to 6.2%. That's a pretty huge range. Yeah.
1: It is. Several orders of magnitude different. Mm
2: -hmm. Like, that's big. It's very big. Yes. But some of the places that I looked said 0.05%. So it's really, really tiny. And some said 6.2%, with, yeah, men being more likely to be narcissists and women being less likely (laughs) so i think with all of that it's just simply to say that it's potentially unlikely that your shitty ex as we said in that episode actually has narcissistic personality disorder but that doesn't mean that they weren't a shitty ex Mm -hmm. they probably may maybe were and that doesn't mean that they will be a shitty ex to the next person but they might be who knows so It's always a thing to look out for, and your suffering is real, and what you went through absolutely was awful. Uh, But maybe we shouldn't just stick everybody into a box of, if you do X, that means Y will happen, or if you are a love bomber, that means that you are a narcissist.
1: Yeah, something that I think is worth talking about just a little bit on this episode before we move on into some of the tools and ways to identify these things is, is just that the distinction between talking about a behavior and then talking about something as a trait of a person. Right. So, you know, the example here is someone does love bombing. Like Emily, you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Mm -hmm. it's like, I kind of feel like I've probably done this in a relationship before of that. Just like, Oh my gosh, I just got so excited so fast.
2: You yeah, I like, did oh, that in my is... current relationship. I think I did it to you a little bit, for sure. <laughs> when I was in a relationship with you, I definitely, like, go hard at times in certain relationships. But, yeah, I mean, Dedeker, like, I wanted to give you gifts, too. Like, that's just, like, a thing. That's, like, my love uh-huh. language. But, yeah, I don't know. And there, And There are, it's a spectrum, yeah. for
1: sure. Right. But I guess what I want to get at, though, is that so, if you wanted to take that example of the behaviors, and maybe you, maybe you would, Emily, say, mm, you know what? I don't think that's the best, healthiest behavior. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not to say that it is or isn't. I mean, it, it didn't cause a problem for us, but you know, sure. What? And you're still in your current relationship, so relationships. Surely it wasn't so, some so, kind well, of violation well, there. Yeah, but but even then, right? Because I, I think I've probably well, I know that I've had people be like, whoa, you, you wanted to get too way too intense too Mm. quickly, you know, like from an emotional standpoint or whatever. And I think I've seen tons of friends do that. And I've, you know, that's just a thing that happens. And while it's okay to look at that and go, "Mm, okay, that behavior is not great. When we cross into this world of this person did this thing. So therefore they are a blank love bomber, Mm. narcissist, abuser, you know, kind of whatever it is, that once we take like, okay, they did a behavior, so now they are a thing, we get ourselves into a lot of trouble. Because one, we are setting up a situation where people are less able to admit they've done those things. Because, oh, if I admit that, then I am this thing, which we all think is bad and evil and should be ostracized and shunned from society. So I can't ever admit that. Which makes it harder then to to change those behaviors moving forward or to get any kind of, you know, closure or resolution for the person who was hurt by that. Um, as well as, you know, by doing this, potentially then encouraging our communities to not then offer education and support, even if it is in the form of tough love to these people, because it's like, nope, they're irredeemable. Right, now like
0: you're a narcissist and that equals the bad guy and we don't want bad guys yeah. around. So right. we throw you right. in the garbage. Yeah.
1: Yeah we yeah. we block you we ban yeah. you we do those sorts of things instead of looking at the behavior. Now again yeah. that's not to say that that all behaviors are forgivable mm-hmm. but that when we get into this uh, I'm going to lump you into this category of narcissist or abuser for a behavior and kind of not seeing like yeah but then I'm lumping you in with these other people that have done something much worse. And then maybe these other people who've done something less so can also be really hurtful to victims of that as well when it's like, okay, cool. So you're minimizing this actually really horrible experience that mm. I had because now you want to get in on giving your partner this label. And I know no one's approaching it that way, but it is something that I, I see um, kind of pushing pushing some people who have really suffered serious abuse to the side and not kind of giving them the care that they need because we're applying these labels a little too liberally and too broadly just based on these behaviors.
0: So speaking of looking at behavior specifically, let's let's take a little inventory to maybe help people understand, is this behavior love bombing or is it just affection? Is it just love, right? Because these things do fall on a spectrum. And so, of course, there's the possibility that maybe you did some of this love-bombing behavior or you had it done to you and it still turned into a very healthy, long relationship. And also the opposite can happen. You know, there can be a courtship process that is slow, that is deliberate, that is intentional, and it turns into a really shitty, toxic, abusive relationship, you know? So it's Mm -hmm. not always one plus one equals two in every single situation here. So, but still, it is always a good idea to be mindful, to be cautious at the beginning of a relationship and be on the lookout for, I mean, I guess I would categorize this under some red flag behavior, right? So we do have a list of some specific behaviors to look out for in comparison to maybe some like healthier or like just better behaviors to be looking out for, some green flag behaviors to be looking out for at the beginning of a relationship. And again, These lists are not exhaustive, but maybe they can give you a gist of what you might keep your eyes peeled for.
2: So here are some examples of love bombing. We've talked about a lot of them already, but things like really excessive compliments or buying expensive gifts or making super grand gestures
1: right away. One thing to notice about that one is when it comes to things like expensive gifts or even grand gestures, I think that one's also relative to how much money does this person have? Sure. How often do they give gifts just in general? Yeah, what kind of gifts do they give generally? So it's not to say, ah, you gave me an expensive gift right away. Oh, no, that's a red flag. If you can look at the rest of the context, I think mm-hmm. that's important.
2: Yeah, definitely. i trying to progress the relationship really quickly. We always say don't sign anything in the first year, and we mean it. Please don't. because some people may yeah some people may say like wow you're my soulmate you're the one and which is also on this list yeah let's sign a lease let's get married immediately things like that i do know people who have gotten married after three months Mm -hmm. which is mind-blowing to me but maybe you're one of those people and that's totally fine for you but maybe that's something to look at if it feels a little strange Also, even lots of calling or texting throughout the day that feels excessive, that's something to potentially look out for. Also, any of these things that make you feel uncomfortable, I think there is sort of a difference if you feel as though, hey, like this is reciprocal, this is a thing that I also feel that I'm also really excited about because the NRE is really strong here. But if there are things and behaviors that are happening that make you feel uncomfortable. That's something to be aware of and to look at for sure. I, I've i seen talk of later in the relationship, somebody, this is more on the narcissist side, but just being on the lookout for, is this person wanting me to stay away from other people in my life? Are they wanting to sort of be the only source of comfort and source of support in my life and don't want, you know, me to be around other friends or partners or family or things like that.
1: Yeah, I think something to look at there is that there are a lot of different excuses people can use for that, mm-hmm. right? About what, whether it's the the gender of your friend or the fact yeah, that I'm- this person is an ex or you know some other trait about them or something like there's lots of ways that people can justify asking you or or trying to limit even just by getting upset a lot anytime mm-hmm. you hang out with this person without explicitly telling you not to so it can look a lot of different ways and unfortunately in some cases such as the gender of your friends our society can't even say yeah that's that's natural and normal and they mm-hmm. they shouldn't want you to be friends with that person so that's definitely a big one to watch out for, just in general. And it doesn't have to mean that they're a narcissist, but just if that behavior is going on, that behavior is not good and something that needs to change or you need to get out of that relationship.
2: Most of these behaviors we've talked about in the context of romantic relationships, but I do just want to point out that like the two really big egregious love bombing times that happen in my life happened with friends. For example, someone very quickly said, I want you to be the godparent to my child. And another person said, I want you to be in our will, you know, after a really short period of time. And also would, when they came to the restaurant that I worked at, like, give me an enormous tip every single time. Mm. And while it felt really nice and flattering and like, oh, this person has money, they can do that. I think that relationship i no longer have and so therefore i kind of see it as a potential red flag both of those things that it was just this huge proclamation and kind of going over the top and so eventually that relationship ended after a period of time and some abusive behaviors as well so both of those things i found to be red flags that I think, it are just things to look out for, because friends can also do this. I don't know if that's happened to the two of you ever with non-romantic relationships.
1: Uh, you know, it's funny, actually, that I think that I have had that happen with a friendship-type relationship. And there's one case I'm thinking of where it was just kind of... He came on very strong with, like, mm. how intense he was about this friendship. And I was just kind of like... I. I I criticized him about something and he then just sort of disappeared and never spoke to me again. Yeah. So, so it was like in that case, similar,
2: similar to what happened with Mac.
1: Right. So that was one. Yeah. But but I was going to say though, is the other one was someone who, you know, very quickly was just like really talking about what good friends we are and really wanting to like do a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. to, to help me and, you know, calling me his best friend very quickly. And, I was a little bit like, well, okay, like, you know, all right, I'm not going to reciprocate that or, or feel I need to, I don't know. Like, sure, it's like, I guess that's cool, but it mostly just felt a little bit weird. Yeah. But in that case, it wasn't something that led to that friendship ending. It was just, okay, then eventually the, you know, we did end up getting a little bit closer. And then I was like, okay, yeah, we are close friends, but mm. it, but it was, that just, well, he got your there a lot side. faster, right? And I was like, yeah. I need some time to get there. And so yeah. it's not necessarily saying, oh, if someone does this, this is just bad and this can't ever work out. But it, again, sure. it's about the behavior. It's like, okay, you know, that's, let's chill a little bit. I'm not quite mm-hmm. sure I'm there with you and I'm not going to be pressured into trying to go there with you, but let's just take it at the pace of this lower person, right? That that, sure. that can work out. It doesn't always, but that was something I wanted to share, at least about the friend part.
0: Yeah. I think my experience with maybe kind of get things getting love bomb with a non romantic partner was, yeah, it happened to me once with, um, an ex's partner. So like not even really a mm-hmm. metamore, but it was like an ex of mine who, who's been a friend for a very long time. His partner at the time spent a long time really feeling very threatened by me, really disliking me it causing a lot of tension and drama in their relationship. And then one day it was this sudden 180 where she reached out to me and it was like all of this, like super excessive compliments and reaching out a ton and like, and it was this weird, disorienting, very uncomfortable experience, you know, where Mm -hmm. again, I think it did a good job of like, not trying to be mean or push back or whatever, trying to like, take this person's bid right because ultimately I wanted to be connected to this person and for it to feel good but yeah. also trying to not feel pressured to be like oh I have to match this level of intensity to
2: be their yes, best friend yes now. now
0: I have to step in yeah. and be their best friend and sure enough like it's not like they eighty back to hating me but it definitely didn't maintain that same exact yeah. intensity I think especially when I didn't match it right and so so again I don't think of that person as like evil narcissistic person. They were planning that all along. I'm just like, there is some sure. shit going on with you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you had your own baggage and trauma and attachment stuff and all kinds of stuff that probably produced that effect for you. Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So in contrast, here are some examples of stuff that's maybe closer to the spectrum of of maybe healthier behaviors, healthier courtship or wooing behaviors you know so it can include things like getting to know each other gradually you know giving signs of affection that are meaningful not just arbitrary right I do think maybe this can be a part Mm. of it is that Mm. this person doesn't even know you and already they're like you're so amazing I can't imagine my life without you like you're my soulmate I'm like you've only known me for 48 (laughs) hours or whatever (laughs) (laughs) right Right? (laughs) so yes actual (laughs) meaningful signs of affection um checking in with each other And sending thoughtful messages to each other. I think this is in contrast to just like this person texting you or calling you constantly. Constantly yeah. Yeah. Um, Maybe talking about the future when the time feels right, you know, when it feels like, okay, maybe we've reached a stage where we can start dreaming about this together or kind of creating a story together about how we're going to fit into each other's lives in the future. And also making intentional effort to get on the same page about the progression of the relationship, you know, Now, that doesn't mean that like from day one, you're going to be matched in exactly what the pace of your relationship is going to be. But I do think there is this constant kind of discussing, communicating, negotiating process because it is a co-created relationship. You know, it's not just one person who jumps in to like set the pace and kind of drag the other person along.
1: So to wrap up this episode let's talk a little bit about what you can do in this case right we've established you know these are some behaviors that might not be the healthiest for establishing a new relationship here's ones that might be better but what if you are in this situation where you're listening to this episode maybe and going hmm yeah gosh that is going on or maybe you're someone who is a little more susceptible to this perhaps because you're healing from a difficult breakup or some past trauma or something like that. And so it's, oh, wow, you know, someone does finally really recognize me and love me. And that, that is why this exists, right? It does feel good. and And it's very possible the person is doing it because they do want you to feel good, even if the result isn't the healthiest. So what can we do about it if we start noticing this happening? So the first thing is to create space and some boundaries for yourself, right? So what we mean by boundaries here is just having time to yourself, not instantly giving all of your time to this other person. That's another situation I can think of in my life where where there have been a few relationships where very quickly the other person just wants to be around in all of my free time to kind of fill up all the little gaps in my calendar. And I've historically had a really hard time saying no to that, but that's something that I have gradually had to learn. I really need that space, not only just because I like having my own time, but also because I know that kind of builds in a little bit of a buffer to help keep us from rushing down that love bomb route. Another one is to take an inventory of the relationship. So this is good if you're questioning this. So figure out what it is that the two of you want, and that doesn't just mean talking together, but also evaluating for yourself. You know, what do you want? How might that be changing over time? Things like the relationship anarchist smorgasbord, Uh, is a good way to kind of get a sense of looking at these specific things rather than just kind of these general overtures of you're my soulmate this is so amazing you complete me that you can kind of get specific on what is it that i want in this relationship what what do i want to get out of this right now and then continue to evaluate that as you go another one is to seek out someone who's a professional if you are concerned about this talking to a therapist or a counselor to just help you evaluate that. And if you can't do that, then just someone who's outside of that relationship, right? Someone who doesn't have a stake in it, right? So potentially a family member or a friend and just kind of talk about what's going on and why you might be feeling a little bit weird about it or a little worried to help give you a sense. I would even extend that to say, maybe talk to a few different people because depending on their experience, they might go, gosh, I wish I had that. Or, you know, oh, that sounds totally normal, maybe because they're in the middle of doing that to someone too, right? Like, we can easily fall into these cultural traps. Uh, and then just actually pay attention to your feelings, right? Don't dismiss those red flags when they come up. I will say they don't necessarily have to mean, I see one and instantly I'm out. Maybe that's just some avoidant attachment showing up. But pay attention to them, acknowledge them, take them seriously, and and think about that as you move forward. And as always... It's okay to break up if the relationship doesn't feel right and that goes for friends too also with your metamors you don't necessarily have to be their best friend i mean ideally you're going to have a healthy you know nice polite at least relationship with your metamors but you don't have to feel like oh i need to be this person's best friend or as soon as i connect with them i really got to make this connection because that's the only way i can be a good polyamorous person as if i'm best friends with my metamor so also just Be aware of some of those social pressures to either stay in relationships, stay in friendships, or to get close to metamores, and that it's okay if you don't want to do that.
2: Wow. Well, thanks, everyone. Hope we learned something today. And I'm really interested to hear what people think of this episode and just to discover more about love bombing from each of you, if, if any of you out there have actually had this happen to you. And so that is going to be part of our question of the week. What are your thoughts on love bombing? And also, is it something that you've ever experienced? This is going to be on our Instagram stories this week. And the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is in the episode discussion channel on our Discord server, or you can post on our private Facebook group. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multi In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram multi is created and produced by Jason Lindgren, Dedeker Winston, and me, Emily Matlack. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvinetta. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenewerk and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com.